0: Good morning, guys. It's really awesome to be with you, uh, as always. I hope you had a great July 4th. Uh, I, I hope you had a good time at Food Trucks and Fireworks last Sunday night. <laughs> I have encouragement for you today. It won't take you as long to get out of the parking lot today <laughs> as it did for Food Trucks. You won't be leaving with thousands of other people at the same time this time, so be encouraged. Uh, For those of you who might be newer with us, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the elders here at the bridge. For those of you who may be getting Josh withdrawals, he will be back next week, so you can make it one more week. Uh, I'm going to be taking us into our second week of our BLESS series, and just let me remind you that in this series, uh, we are hoping to instill a more intentional evangelistic culture in our church, and this BLESS framework is helping us toward that. So last week we started with begin with prayer. This week is listen. And in the next coming weeks we'll look at eat, serve, and share your story. But today, listen, and we're going to be in Luke 18. If you want to open up your Bibles, it will also be on the screen. But we're going to be in Luke 18. And we are talking about listening today. Ultimately, though, we are talking about loving the people that are in need around us. Talking about listening, we are talking about loving, and we're going to do that through an example of the life of Jesus, okay? Before we get there, I want to get us all thinking in the same direction by being quiet. It's not normally what I do up here. Because of our recent adoption, my family is learning sign language, trying to. So, Sign language is going to help us set the stage for our text today. So here's what you need to know. I have a desperate need, desperate deep need, and you can help me. All right, who's going to meet my need? Come on, guys, I'm desperate. I'm right here in front of you. Help me. You can't. Why? Because you don't understand what I need. You don't know what I need. I'll tell you. I'm so hungry. I need chocolate cake. <laughs> now. If I don't have chocolate cake soon, I will die. Help me, please. Couldn't do it. My point is very simple. We have to know what people are thinking. We have to know what people are feeling if we're going to help them. Chocolate cake is not a grave need, I'm aware. But there are truly deep needs all around us. All around us, at the gym, at the job, at the park. And if we don't understand, if we don't listen to hear, to understand, to meet the need, then we might as well be deaf to the world around us. We might as well be. Deep needs everywhere. If we want to be a church that can speak to the natural needs, be they hunger or health or happiness... We have to hear the hurting. We have to hear them. Regardless of how they're hurting, we have to hear. If we want to be a church that speaks to the deep soul level need for Jesus and all that that entails, we have to be engaged. It's so easy for us, so easy for me, to just go do my thing. Meanwhile, it's as though the world is flailing their arms in front of me, and I'm not ready to give them the cake. We will never help if we don't understand, and we won't understand if we don't listen, right? So our focus for the day is on the fact that Jesus always listened. Jesus understood. Jesus was never selfish. He was never unaware. Jesus heard. And where there was hearing, there was healing. So we're going to look at an example from Jesus in Luke chapter 18 and pray after we read this that seeing Jesus' example of listening and loving will turn into our example of listening and loving. So this is what we're going to read starting in verse 35. Who's ready? A couple. No one was ready at the eight. Good job. Zero percent preparedness. Here we go. Start reading in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Beautiful story that we're going to look at today. Let's pray together now. You pray for me. You pray for yourselves. You pray for the other people in the brown chairs around you that we will see how Jesus blessed the people around him so that we can bless the people around us. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for listening to us right in this second. It is a miracle that you hear us now. We thank you for hearing us in the ways that we need most. And we pray that you would help us to hear others as a result of what we see in the the life and the testimony of Jesus today. And we pray in his name, amen. All right. So we're going to go back through these verses. I want to look at three audiences, three groups of people that Jesus interacted with in this text and see how that can inform us, that it can shape us and move us to be more like him. So three audiences. Let's start with the most obvious. First, Jesus listened to a beggar. Jesus listened to a beggar. Jesus stopped and listened to one hurting man let's read that again in verse 35 just to get us going as jesus approached jericho this blind man sitting by the roadside begging when he heard the crowd going by he asked what was happening they said jesus of nazareth is passing by and he called out jesus son of david have mercy on me those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet but he shouted all the more son of david have mercy on me and jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him and when he came near jesus asked him What do you want me to do for you? So let's start first by focusing on two phrases that we just read. Jesus stopped and Jesus asked. Jesus stopped and Jesus asked. So a blind beggar calls out in the crowd, son of David, have mercy. He's told to be quiet. He calls out again, son of David, have mercy. And Jesus stopped. Something that's simple to see, something easy to understand, but I think something so hard for us to do. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Think about this. For Jesus to stop at all, for any one person, is almost a ludicrous pr- proposition if you understand the scenario. It's really, it's really absurd. Who was Jesus? Jesus was the actual creator of the entire universe, living temporarily... In a world and amongst a people that he himself had made out of nothing. For him to stop for anything, for any one person, is a little weird on the surface. He's the God of everything. When you add to that the fact that he's wildly popular at this point in his story, he's amongst a crowd, the crowd clearly doesn't want him to stop. It's even more impressive that he paused what he was doing to talk to this beggar on the side of the road. But when you remember what he's doing, it feels crazy to me. Where was Jesus going? The passage tells us that he's approaching Jericho, right? You got that. He's approaching Jericho. We know that that was not his ultimate destination right here. Back in Luke chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He's heading right now in this moment to Jerusalem to die. He's nearing the end of that journey right here. This is actually the last recorded healing miracle of Jesus. After this, he's just going to meet Zacchaeus. And then it's time for the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. We're there, guys. Jesus is literally on the doorstep of death for sin. He is in this crowd marching to the cross, and he stops for one beggar on the side of the road. Jesus stopped. Guys, we're never going to do anything as important as what Jesus was doing right then. Never. Uh, our emergency Chipotle runs can probably wait, right? We can stop. We can pause what we're doing. My God gave my wife, Scarlett, uh, a good opportunity this week to stop. Uh, Several times, the same guy has delivered the Walmart groceries to her car. By the way, did you know that you can order your groceries online, someone will shop for them for you, bring them to your car for you, and it's free. They won't even let you tip if you try. It's crazy. So just take that with you. (laughs) But she's had several conversations with this same guy, and she asked him, this week, about his baby. And she said he looked a little caught off guard, and then he looked sad, and he told her that they'd had a miscarriage since the last time they talked. And so now she's a little caught off guard, but she tells him she's sorry, and she's had two miscarriages, and he makes a couple of jokes and gets back to work. And God helped her stop. She wasn't on her way to the cross. She was on her way to the park. So she went home and she wrote this guy a note saying, you know, God and his word helped me through my miscarriages. And she stuck that note in a book that she thought would be helpful for him. And she drove it back and gave it to him at Walmart. Simple, small thing. Could that be a thing that God uses to help a hurting heart find hope in Jesus? Of course it could. Of course Jesus stopped. We can stop. Jesus didn't just stop. Jesus also asked. Jesus asked this beggar, what do you want me to do for you? He's saying, what are you struggling with? What is your hurt? What is your need? In the midst of this craziness going on around him, Jesus listened to one person's knees. And guys, we're going to have chances this week guaranteed somebody at the gym somebody at your job somebody at Aldi somebody that you interact with is going to lose their job this week or find out they have Parkinson's this week or talk to their spouse about getting separated this week there is going to be hurting hearts all around us this week if we will hear them this beggar had a need and Jesus had an ear for his need Before we move on, let's think about the fact that this guy was a beggar. So most of the broken people that we meet aren't broken because they were blind. They're broken because they're sinners. They're sinners, right? The homeless man made a lot of bad choices. The guy who doesn't have a relationship with his kids was a terrible father. The, your coworker who lost her job was selfish and dishonest. We don't really want to hear those stories. Guess what? There's no different in this culture in Luke 18. In the Middle East, in the first century, they just assumed that your problem, whether or not you were born with your problem, was the result of sin. Remember in John 9, there's another blind man having a conversation with Jesus, and the disciples ask him, Jesus, so just to get this straight, who sinned, this guy or his father, that he was born blind? Somebody sinned. We still think like that today, with good reason. Somebody sinned. Homeless guy's a bad person. Man with no family, bad father. Woman with no job, wicked. Right? Yeah, 100% true. Who wants to listen to those stories? Jesus does. Jesus wants to listen. Here's some of you, I don't I can tell on your faces, some of you aren't with me yet, so watch. I'm about to get you. Listen, if we're going to be a church that is a blessing to the people around us and that helps the hurting people around us, we have to get this. If Jesus only listened to the people who bore no responsibility for their problems, he never would have listened to anybody. This is us. If Jesus only stopped for the hurts of the innocent, he never would have stopped walking, and he never would have left heaven in the first place. There is none righteous, no, not one, but Jesus stopped and Jesus asked, and he listened, and he helped, and he loved. There's a, there's a man I work with. I got to hear his testimony recently of how he came to know Christ. And it's a beautiful example of what happens when you listen, and you engage, and you involve yourself in the life of someone who's hurting. Guys, there's all kinds of hurting. All kinds of hurting. So uh, this man's name is Brian. He was saved 30 years ago in a striking way. He was newly married at the time. His marriage was a wreck already. His wife already wanted to lead him, leave him. They were fighting all the time. Uh, he'd been raised casually Catholic, but God had nothing to do with his life. He met a guy at work who was a Syrian man. Who was a Christian, and this man got involved in his life. They talked about work, they talked about his marriage, they talked about his struggles, they talked about faith. One night the fighting at home got aggressive, and his wife stabbed him in the arm with a pencil. For those for those couples who argued on the way to church today, be encouraged. If there was no pencil, it could get worse. You're okay. But Brian says that the Holy Spirit was working on him in this moment and that rather than blowing up, he had the thought, what a jerk I must be if my wife just stabbed me with a pencil. (laughs) With the pencil in his arm, he looks at his coffee table and sees his massive Catholic Bible that he's never opened. And he tells his wife, I think we should read the Bible. He doesn't know what to do with it. He opens to Matthew because he knows that's the newer half. He just starts reading and he gets through the genealogies and he reads still bleeding all the way through to where Jesus rescues the demon-possessed man living in the caves. <laughs> and Brian says, if he can help him, he can help me. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He just cried out to Jesus for help, literally crying for mercy. And he and his wife don't know what's going on. It's 12 o'clock at night at this point. And you know where they went? They went to a Syrian's friend's house. And they showed up on his front door at midnight. And he brought them in, and he listened to the story, and he said to Brian, brother, you just got saved. And then he led his wife to the Lord in his living room. That's somebody who engaged, somebody who knew, somebody who was involved. Brian knew that he was cared for, and when it was time for his family to meet Jesus, he knew where to go. This is a convicting question, but I think it's a healthy one for us. Are there any people in our lives who could come to our door at midnight needing mercy? Don't we want to be a church full of midnight door openers? Now I see on your face you're with me. Yes, we do. Jesus was approached by a hurting man, and he stopped, and he asked, and he listened, and he loved. And that takes us logically to the second group that we can notice in this passage. That's Jesus' followers. So Jesus listened to a beggar. Secondly, Jesus listened in front of his followers. Jesus stopped to listen as his followers were looking on. This is important, so check this out. Let's read verses 39 and 40. Those who were led away, are those who led the way, rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me, and Jesus stopped in order the man be brought to him. Then skip down to verse 43, and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So let's focus on two phrases again. Those who led the way, and when all the people saw, what we need to see here is that Jesus' followers were with him. Jesus' followers were watching him. so they were, they were always watching him. He was always in front of his followers, modeling for them the kingdom of heaven on earth. We don't know for sure that the 12 disciples were the ones who told the beggar to shut up. We don't know that for sure. We know they were there. And it very well could have been them. Just 15 verses earlier in the same Luke 18 was when they told little children they couldn't see Jesus. Those those, those guys. Or maybe it wasn't them. Maybe they learned their lesson. And that's the point. That's the point. Jesus was helping his followers be like him. This is important for us to grasp, not only as student of the, uh, students of the New Testament, but as people who are followers of Jesus 2,000 years later, Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers were his strategy. His followers are his plan. If you zoom out from, to the larger context of the Gospels outside of just this text It's amazingly clear that Jesus gave most of his time and his life to pouring in to these men. Next to the gospel itself, Jesus multiplying himself in his followers is the key theme of the gospels. Over and over again, like in Luke 18, they are watching him. He said to these guys, follow me. For three years, they lived together, walked together, they watched Jesus, they heard from Jesus, they just soaked up Jesus for three years. I want to read you a quote from Robert Coleman who wrote a book on this concept called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Great name for this. That was his plan. He said, when one stops to think of it, this was an incredibly simple way of doing it. Jesus had no formal school, no seminaries, no outline course of study, no periodic membership classes in which he enrolled his followers. Amazing as it may seem, all Jesus did to teach these men his way was to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. So what we see, based on what we know, happening in this text is not just a healing. It's bless the world schooling. Jesus was always, always modeling for his disciples how his kingdom should work. And then those disciples made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples for 2,000 years. And here we are. We are the discipleship descendants of the plan of Jesus to reach the world. That's cool. I don't feel like you are pumped up enough about this. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. So, Jesus called his disciples in Luke chapter 5. Come follow me and just watch me for three years, see what happens. Then, we're here in Luke 18. So that you see that everything that Jesus was doing was pouring into his mission through his men, I want to read you just the, check this out, just the first verse of each chapter between 5 and 18. Just to see how much that we see of him multiplying himself in these men. So, check this out. 6-1. 6-1. I'll go quickly. 6-1. One. one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, and he turns that into a teaching moment. First verse. 7-1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, and what he finished saying was a sermon, and we know from chapter 6 that the disciples were listening to the sermon. 8-1. After this, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and the twelve were with him. 9-1, and when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. Ten one, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go, even more disciples. 11-1, one, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, and he taught them the Lord's prayer. 12-1, these are just the first verses. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began first to speak to his disciples. That's crazy. Then in chapters 13 and 14 and 15, the disciples are all over the place, but they're not in the first verse, not directly referenced. But have no fear. 16.1, the very first words are, Jesus told his disciples. 17.1, the very first words, Jesus, told, Jesus said to his disciples. And then here in 18, our chapter for today, it starts with, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's crazy. Most of Luke is Jesus establishing his kingdom by pouring his life into his followers. These men who scared children and kicked Beggars to the curb were the main focus of his ministry. Why? Because he wanted them to be like him. He was going to bless the world through them. So let me ask us a more theological question to get us back to our theme. How many ears did Jesus have? Probably. Probably two. I don't know for sure. Eight billion people. Two ears. Two hands. Two feet. There was only one Jesus. And so he made himself the sacrifice and entrusted his message to his disciples who had walked with him and watched him. And seen him model time and time and again the way to live like Jesus on the earth. And it worked. So Jesus had a dandelion strategy. It's hard to find dandelions this time of year, guys. Real hard. In fact, I barely have enough for today. Jesus had a dandelion strategy. He gathered disciples. He loved disciples. He trained disciples. He lived with disciples. He lived in front of disciples. He prayed for disciples. He poured himself into disciples. He multiplied himself through them. And then he died and rose and ascended into heaven. And sent the wind of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this will work. (sighs) Holy Spirit is stronger than me. (sighs) The hands and feet and ears of Jesus all over the world. Little Christs all over the world. The disciples learned what it was like. To live and love and listen like Jesus. Uh, the dandelion strategy worked. Uh, reading this story in Luke 18 reminded me of another story of another beggar in Acts chapter 3. Listen to this. This is mm. Jesus has already left when this happens. Watch. Now Peter and John, his disciples. Now Peter and John were going up from the temple at that hour of prayer, the ninth hour. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And it is beautiful, and it is as though Jesus never left. It's like he never left. Just like in Luke 18, Peter and John had somewhere to be. I'm sure they had something important to do on their way to church. They were in charge of the church. But they loved and they lived and they listened like their master and they stopped. And Peter said, I hear you. I don't have silver and gold. Would you like to walk? Would you like to know the God with the power to make you walk? And you know what they did after that? They gathered around all the people that were amazed. You can read it on further in Acts chapter 3. They gathered around all the people that were amazed at the work of God. And they said, we can tell you something even more amazing that he has done. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and you can be reconciled to God through him. It worked. The disciples listened and learned, and loved. And now it's our turn. Guys, that's what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted his followers to see him live the way his kingdom worked. We're the ones now. We are the hands and feet and ears of Jesus on the world today that takes us to the last audience for us to look at in this passage. Jesus listened to a beggar. Jesus listened in front of his followers. And finally, Jesus listened to us. Jesus listened to me, and he listened to you. And check this out. Again in verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. They rebuked him. and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And let's finish by focusing on that phrase, the son of David. This is awesome, guys. I didn't know this till this week. The son of David was a famous name in this culture. It was a significant historical name that it was another way of saying Messiah. It was another name for Messiah. Folks in this context would have instantly recognized Son of David, as a reference to the long-awaited rescuer of God's people. But here's the special part that I didn't know. Until this verse, Jesus had actively avoided the phrase and the title, Son of David. He didn't want it because there were th- political and cultural implications wrapped up in the title son of David that would have been a distraction to his early ministry the people of Israel the people in the Middle East they thought that the son of David was mostly coming to be their king and it would have derailed what Jesus was trying to do but here at the cusp of the cross with a crowd marching to the cross is the first time he publicly accepts this title let me give you an example This happened several times, but in in Matthew chapter 9, blind men called out to Jesus from the side of the road and they said, Son of David! And he wouldn't talk to them until they came inside. He wouldn't respond to Son of David in front of a crowd. He healed them, but then he told them, Guys, make sure no one hears about this. That literally happened. Several other times, Jesus would not associate with the title the Son of David until now. You know what that means? That means that in this moment, in front of this beggar, and in front of this crowd on the way to the cross, Jesus is acknowledging finally, publicly, that he is the Messiah. He was finally letting it be known that he was the one who would come to rescue his people. So he stood before a beggar. He'd done that before. He had never stood before a beggar as the son of David before. And in doing so, he was saying, I'm not just here for you. I heard from heaven, and I am here for everyone. So that leads us to a question. In light of who Jesus is, If Jesus is the son of David, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ of mercy, then who are we? In light of who Jesus is, the son of David, the Messiah, who are we in this story? Who do we relate to? Who do we identify with? We've already said that we're the disciples. We've already said that we're his followers. We've already said that we are his method to reach the world he loves. But that's second, first, before the son of David, we are all beggars. That sounds like bad news, but it's awesome. We are all blind men. We were broken before he came to save us. And listen, if we have a relationship with God through Jesus, it's because we cried out. And he heard us and he asked us, What would you have me to do for you? And we said, Son of David, have mercy. And he said, Yes. We could not save ourselves. We could not heal ourselves. We could not love ourselves. But Jesus stopped and asked and listened and died and loves. So, Jesus stopped for a beggar, a bunch of beggars. (laughs) Jesus listened and showed his disciples how to listen to the world. And he has called us to listen to the world. But this is why we can. This is why we can. We were beggars who have been made disciples, we can listen because we have been heard. Church, Jesus is making us like himself. I see it in you. We see it in each other. He's making us like, like himself. He is multiplying us. Let's pray together that he will make us midnight door openers. The door was opened to us. That he will make us love as we, as we have been loved. That he will help us to listen as we have been heard. And let's rejoice and what we have in him together. Let me pray for us now, and then we will worship. Father in heaven, only Father in heaven, thank you for listening to us now. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us tomorrow. Thank you for listening to us when we needed you most, and in the future when we need you most. Thank you for sending Jesus. God, I pray for anyone who is in this room who does not have a relationship with you through Jesus that you would draw them to yourself now. Please, right now, help them to see that they need you, that you can save anyone, that no one can save themselves, and help them to call on you for help. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Father, would you help us to be crushed, crushed by the work of Jesus on our behalf. The God of heaven stopped and listened and died. Thank you forever. And I pray that you would help us to be crushed by that and changed by that and that we will be a people that is aware of the people around us that you love and that you want to be yours and help us to listen and help us to help and help us to love and to point the people around us to Jesus. Thanks that we get to sing together to you now. We pray in the name of Christ.